So it is unbelievably awesome to have you back to be able to speak and connect and talk about our families and to go right to the cutting edge of what's going on right now with, with power generation. Um, I value your opinion, your guidance, and your advice, and I have for years. Troy, it is wonderful to have you back on my podcast, on our show. And today we're going to be talking about carbon negative power. This is, it seems like it's a new thing because it's kind of sweeping online through the Facebook groups and Twitter and but it's it's not that it's not that new. <laughs> You've been working on this sort of technology for years, so maybe you could educate some of us um, and and maybe fine tune some of us um, so that we really understand how we can be partnering with biochar, gasification, algae, you know, creating green power plants, all of this green energy, all of this carbon negative energy that they're talking about. Help us understand. Sure. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me back. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you and watch what you're doing. Um, yeah, carbon neutral, carbon negative. Let's, let's just put um, a quick and dirty definition on that so we're speaking about the same thing. So, you know, short of a free energy device that just spins and gives you electricity, I think it's fair to say that we could look at carbon negative as sort of, you know, given multiple years, the right kind of animal and forest husbandry could turn into carbon neg, you know, carbon negative solutions pretty much wherever you live. It's hard to start up with any technology uh, carbon negative unless you're getting, you know, residues from, you know, waste residues from farms and you have contracts set up. But if you're doing it yourself, if you have, you know, that acre or above opportunity, yeah, there's lots of exciting things happening right now to choose from. And what you're looking at is exceptionally exciting to me. Yeah, well, I was just one of the many people who got emailed about this Montana green powerhouse, which leverages biochar creation, pyrolysis, and algae growth using the CO2 from that to turn into a biodigestion event where they create methane to power the pyrolysis again. And their waste product is electricity. And they power 100 homes with a single building on top of that. Yeah, that's impressive. And I, I just saw that free showing of a documentary two or three days ago. And he was featured in there with Paul Stamets and a couple other people. Uh, yeah. and, um, I've heard of him before, but that was the first time I, I saw the details. And I, I, was, I was blown away. It reminds me of other friends that we have that are, are doing similar things. But I did look at the website, and I did look at the technologies he's using, and I tried to understand, you know, where is he getting this from and, and how it works. And I think I have a pretty good understanding. And it is, it is genius. He's, he's leveraging the... I'll call it photosynthetic advantage of algae over pretty much any other living photosynthesizing uh, organism to produce biomass in the form of algae, <laughs> which can be, you know, uh, you could put it in a methane biogas digester. You could dry it and squeeze the oil out for diesel. You could then take the hydrocarbons that are left after you squeeze that oil out and make pellets and burn them in a gasifier. It's that whole stacking of functions and the waste of one uh, system is the input of another. And, and he's done that nicely with pretty few pieces. There's some, he's got, he's got a lot of sun coming in and uh, you know, he's got a CO2 that he's feeding uh, back into the algae pool. So it's, uh, it's sort of get it given, I think, a um, genetic advantage. We're basically giving it the chance to express itself fully in his system, sort of an optimal. You know, and I haven't seen the designs for his pyrolyzer, um, but they're all pretty similar, so I, I, I can see it. And, uh, but yeah, I think what he's doing is absolutely inspiring and makes me want to reach out to him. Like yeah. I said, it reminds me of a couple other people we know doing other things like that. 
Well, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, in my book, I had created this hypothetical algae carbon sink power plant where the effluent from the algae biodigestion would be sunk back where the oil came, which is novel <laughs> and makes sense in like a reverse kind of way, you know, but, but he's combining it with the biochar as a soil building um, plant root stimulant. And so it's, it, it's really powerful. It's really exciting. But how could we adapt this to, like, I've got this giant greenhouse. It's uh, 60 feet long, you know, 60-something feet wide, uh, 20, 25 feet tall. And I'm already growing plants. I could probably seal it. Um, and I've got a biogas digester, and I, I can cook food out there on it, on the range that I have set up. So it works efficiently. And inside a greenhouse, it will work even more efficiently. Okay, well, you just gave me um, information that we can work with. I, I wasn't aware. So you, how big is your greenhouse? It's really big. It's a double wide, and it's 20 feet tall. So it's like 30 feet wide, maybe 35 feet wide on each side. So it's like 70 feet across. And then um, there's no central divider. It just dips in the middle. So there's uh, essentially okay. two canopies that are connected. It's huge. And there's enough space that you're not going to be melting things if you've got something hot in there, if it's small enough. And it's really about capturing the, the, the syn gases and processing things properly and, and maybe even monitoring the CO2 levels, right, to make sure that I don't kill things. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you just, you just um, brought something up that's very important. And... In gasification, for instance, if I'm, if I'm doing charcoal gasification, which is totally different than biomass gasification, in that we're not dealing with the tars. The tars have already been cooked off for heat value, and all you're left is that recalcitrant biochar if it's meant to go in the ground. If it's a pellet, it's been densified, so it doesn't make great biochar because you lose all those nooks and crannies. So, um, but if you're doing gasification, it seems counterproductive. Like, why are you burning carbon to then, you know, and you're trying to be carbon negative? And it's, it's a, it, there's a little bit of a story to that. But let's talk about that because um, you're, so you're talking about methane. You have a biogas digester. You mm -hmm. have a good sized greenhouse. You just got inspired by uh, this Montana setup. And uh, as, all, as we all would, I've got duckweed and, like, all um, over too. I'm growing. Okay, and duckweed's another photosynthetic champion, right? So, so let's, let's go back to the definition. And if we're sort of brainstorming right now, which I love. I mean, this is really what, what I was built for. I'm a great <laughs> brainstormer. Um, and, you know, I just, just, I love the energy. So let's brainstorm. Okay, well, what conditions are you in? Where, where do you live? What elevation? Tell me uh, cold, hot parts of the year. What are we, what are we dealing with? So it's zone eight, so it's very mild winters. Um, we'll get frosts, but um, it'll keep dipping up out of the frozen, um, out of the frozen region into the 40s, like all winter long. Uh, and we're also on a hill, so we're above the frost pockets. And this is um, facing the the morning sun path, and it's and it's got some shade in the afternoon, but it's pretty pretty good. Okay. So I know you probably already have it in your mind what's going to grow really well in there. And uh, so I, I guess what I'm figuring out is what's the context? Are we building this for trying to have energy as a byproduct? Is the primary, you know, is food the primary? You know what I'm getting at. I, I kind of want to know your context because then we can build around that. I think that I think that there's twofold. So number one is biochar creation. I think if if we could create biochar um, and and use it on the land regular, because I'm on over 90 acres, um, I'm I'm a steward on this larger site, and um, I'm 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 in the in the middle of figuring out how to best manage it. And I know I biochar controlled fire, right? Super controlled fire, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that it can return yeah, it back to the landscape. So the landscape thinks that there has been fire. Um, and, it, and, and it continues on in the natural progression because it's a pyrophytic landscape. So it's going to love that. 
Um, and it really needs to be cleared either, you know, it, and it, and it was cleared by, by fire 15 years ago. There's evidence of that. So it's, it's really kind of, um, a, a way to manage the, the site and create, um, tons of effluent from the biodigestion and we'd have excess power, excess electricity. And that would be really great if we could run like the pump systems, um, for the site, because there's, mm -hmm. Three, there's three or four levels of tanks up this mountain from the the well, which is lower in the mountain. So if we could just like sure. put certain things on that electricity, and then with that electricity suddenly shows that we get more certain times of year, then we could add you know something else to that responsibility. Um, but as with like all electricity on the small DIY scale, I've learned is you never go, I'm gonna power myself. No, 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 no. You go, let's see what the power that's generated by the system, and then like pair it up to, to jobs in your greater system and assign it to that job. Um, I think that uh, yes. there's, there's this, this, this fallacy that like, I flip on the light switch, everywhere the power goes on, it's all one thing. Is, is a really a problem because all the technology that we're going to be working with on these off-grid sites is going to be a combination of technologies and different jobs and different yes. places. Yes, and you know, the paradigm of electricity, we're all conditioned in that, I think, that 1980s, you know, suburbia type of, you know, got two TVs going and five lights on in the house and et cetera, et cetera. And it's really not how the world has ever worked. And it, it, you know, I'm not casting any uh, judgment on that. I'm just, it, you have to step back and look at uh, frugality. And, um, you know, and most of my friends are, I would say, lean to the left. And um, I'm one of the guys that's a little bit to the right because uh, I'm pro-business. Um, but I also understand, you know, the logic of being frugal and using the land and where real value comes from. And what you're doing right now is a perfect case where we have enough land. And I know you're, you're one of the most driven people I've ever met. So I know you're going to make this happen. And so I'm going to give you my energy and my ideas right now. And let's, let's brainstorm and have fun with this because, uh, uh, but tell me where you're at. So you're in a, it sounds like you're in sort of a Southern Cal, like Santa Barbara -y type place. Am I, yeah, we're am in I wrong? Or? We're on a mountain above a vineyard a biodynamic vineyard. So um, everything we do that's beneficial will like roll into their benefit into even greaterness. Um, okay. It, it's gorgeous. It's redwood forest. Okay. Awesome. Beautiful. Okay. So now I know where you're at. So, um, <clears throat> so let's, let's look at, uh, let's look at some base systems. You're going to be growing things. We're talking about uh, duckweed for sure maybe algae is, is algae on the table or yeah, i mean I, I i'm in love with spirulina and i'm I, and i i'm not gonna like probably be biodigesting the spirulina i'm gonna be eating it so i'm, I'm into yeah, of course here. so I'm, I'm comfortable and i and i want to figure out what the best allergies are for this situation because i know different allergies are going to grow you know different rates probably yeah, not only that, but uh, different algaes grow differently in different biomes. Mm. And and what are you feeding them? Are you bubbling CO2 in artificially and, you know, lights bouncing off white reflective floors? There's all different ways to do it. Uh, and if you already know you're not going to do algae right out of the gates, it's probably best not to, to factor that in other than just sort of like a side experiment. But yeah. Different algaes produce different oil lipid contents. So if you're trying to make biodiesel, uh, you're going to want to choose that strain that's going to have the highest lipid content with the least amount of cost, whether that's artificial bubbling or nutrients. Or uh, If you want carbs, that's a different strain. If you want to go with what grows naturally there, you know, you do the whole stun, uh, you know, set up different experiments and um, try to try to... I would say facilitate an environment that will be very similar to your final, you know, algae, uh, nutrient, you know, let's put it this way. You can have open air, you can have closed air, you can really shut off invading natural spores 
if that's what you call it for algae. <laughs> Remind me, I don't know if it. Yeah, so if, if you can control the genetics that are in, in a sealed environment, you can really go crazy because you can purchase uh, specific uh, genetics for algae um, online. Right. Uh, if you want to go, yeah, so it just depends on what you're trying to use the algae for. If you're going to bio digest it, you need to go with the highest lipid content, just like you do for biodiesel. Because what gives you the most methane of all things? It's things with high fat content. And what's second? High sugars. What's third or fourth? That's when the cow poop comes in, right? The, pal- the, pal- the, the mass from the cow poop isn't giving you the mass of the gas. It's giving you the biology to produce the methane. Mm-hmm. You have the acidogens and the methanogens, right? So uh, in my investigation, and, I ha- and you have more you know, hands-on, but as sort of a connoisseur guy who's been calling people for 10 years and having conversations, the, the cheapest way to do it is throw you know, high-fat stuff in there. So if, you're, if you have uh, really rough fat and you have a home butchering situation, uh, you know, or you go to a donut factory and you sweep the sugar off the floor, you know, it's, it's free energy. So are we talking about, do we have relationships and some contracts with people delivering stuff? Are we all trying to do this within a, a closed environment? And that's what I would work with is everything else would be gravy. Let's try to make it work almost like a, an enclosed biosphere, you know, um, as sort of the base challenge. It's almost like, um, I wonder if we could use urine and then the biochar and Anna and the, um, digester combined to add back in as fuel, because once it's, um, like this, if you take the algae or duckweed and then biodigest it, the effluent that comes out, if you combine it with the biochar, that would become, um, food again, right? Yeah, so the effluent that will come out now it depends on, uh, in, in large part, you know how you're doing your biodigest. You know, are you waiting until it's almost nothing but a watery slurry? Are you, uh, you know, so are you draining it where there's a little bit of biomass? Of course, you're gonna. But I would do it in a fertigation system. Mm-hmm. I would filter out all particles and you know, enough for the biology to float along with my water, and you just you put it out on your landscape or in your greenhouse. That's how I would do it. And since it's always going to have a similar nitrogen, I mean, because what, what are you getting? What's in that effluent? It's mineralization and it's uh, molecules that um, are great fertilizers. And I, again, I'm not an expert on anaerobic digesters. I'm more of a jack of all energy. You know, let's play with the yeah. pieces and then bring, bring in real experts. Um, yeah, so... If you're going to use as the main product for biogas digestion is duckweed, um, yeah, first thing we got to do is do some trials and mm-hmm. see what it what it will produce. And um, you might want to wait a month before really looking at the data because, like anything, just like your gut biome, it might t- there might be some ramp up time for the biology to get used to its feedstock being consistent and sort of harmonize around that. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little woo-woo, but uh, I know you have the words. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, they just learn yeah, let's, the food and adapt. And better yet, maybe somebody, I'm sure somebody's already looked at this and see if, see if you can find the white paper online of how well duckweed is as a feedstock for biogas digesters. You know, and if it needs a little help um, and you can add a secondary product, then great, you know, mm-hmm. but the reason that um, the reason that I tend to favor gasification and win that route is because it's on-demand power, mm-hmm. and I can get really massive, and I can get you know twenty kilowatts, and we can power up five welders if we have the right machine, right? And and biogas is kind of you got to feed it. It's like a garden. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have, you might have on season and off season, but it, it's it's a constant thing that's awesome. And I would absolutely have it in as one of the technologies. Obviously, solar panels. Um, it's really hard to beat solar panel on an ROI or E R O E I 
spreadsheet because they're just so awesome. But um, if you're using the sun in a different way, we could have some fun. A duckweed is uh, another kind of solar panel. It's just we, we're getting the energy in a different way. But yeah, to answer your question, are you giving them food? You're giving them nutrients? Yeah. You're, yeah, and you're giving them some biology, but that's biology coming from an anaerobic environment. So I think it's going to be eaten quickly once it is introduced to a fertigation system. or it's, yeah. it's no longer going to be in its comfort zone. It's going to be food at that point. But I think it's mostly the minerals and the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium uh, balance. From my recollection, uh, the effluent from biogas, it's more about good minerals and a pretty good balance without having to add anything to it. Uh, I could be wrong. Gosh, it's been like two years. Well, that's but, um, the whole point. That's the that's whole my thing behind what they're doing with the green powerhouse is they're making a plant fertilizer. It's a root stimulant. And all it is is the effluent with the biochar. And it looks like they're just using wood biomass in the, in the pyrolysis. So it's, it's pretty. It's, yeah, what I think he's, I think what they're doing is they're, they're using the heat off of the wood. If he's using wood, that's the part that's unclear to me is what is he pyrolyzing? It opens with a wood stack and you're seeing through the wood stacks. So I think it's like a mill's waste products, like their sawdust and all this kind of stuff that they're doing in there. Okay. So, and then that, so that's my other question is like, how many acres does it take to get that wood? I mean, we have to be honest about our inputs and outputs. And I know very few farms or, you know, I would say, suburban high impact homes like you know pick you know any one of people that we know that are doing amazing things in downtown areas mm -hmm. um yeah i i would um it's it's hard to wrap your head around it. it's like where are you getting your feet so are you growing it on your land with the sun right okay is that what we're working with yeah or are we getting inputs from other people and sort of cheating in the math and telling a nice story. And I'm mm. not saying this Montana thing, everything I can tell, he's doing it all in that square footage. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, he seemed, he hit every check mark I had for genius uh, when I'm listening to people, what they had. There's nothing he said that I, I didn't go, yeah, I, I've, I've heard that. And he, he combined it in a way where he's using algae. Now, you're, I, I don't know if duckweed's half of algae's, you know, photosynthetic glory. <laughs> I need to compare uh, Or let's compare it. But if you have duckweed, you know, it's still, you know, we still have a high biomass producing organism. Yeah, um, I mean, it keeps just filling up all the containers and I just keep uh, straining it and putting it in the gas, uh, biogas digester. So, so you've already been using duckweed to produce... I saw the video and I was like, ha ha, me too. <laughs> well, well, shoot. I mean, we only had a five minute catch up before this interview, but let me ask you, cause I didn't ask you, how is it yielding good gas yields or yeah. are you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I lit it this morning. I made a video of lighting it. It's, it's, it's fill, it filled up really fast. And I mean, it gets down into the low forties at night still, and it's still powering and filling. We put bones in it. We put fat in it. We put um, urine in it. Um, we put a lot of uh, food waste, so a lot of sugars, simple compounds, and it, yeah. it just keeps going. It's just really happy, happy little. Uh, I mean, it's made out of bounce house material. This is the genius of the home biogas unit. They, like when I was writing about biogas digesters, my editor was like. I have nightmares of biogas digesters that aren't like uh, double chambered properly. And I'm like mm -hmm. writing this into my book and these warnings about, and then they come up with the bounce house and it's like, Oh, problem solved. No shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's brilliant and it works really well. It was easy to put together. And I mean, other than basic safety, you know, it's, it's just, it's uh, anyone can use it. You know what I mean? If they understand just basic safety with fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
if you already have a pretty good understanding of how much duckweed will produce X amount of gas, um, you might even be able to skip like more of a scientific uh, endeavor where you're doing you know, precise measurements if you're not already doing that. You might be, but if I was doing it, it would just be like, hey, honey, it looks like you know we need to add a little more cow poop because I would try to find, uh, and again, I'm focusing on gasification currently, but where I'm at, biodigest, you know, it's like 80 degrees all the time. It would, bacteria would love it. Um, I would be, yeah, I would be looking for the mix. What is the, what are the waste products that are most beneficial going into this system? And you can, you can actually look at it from a yield standpoint. And I, I, I'm speaking, okay, this is off memory, but I think it's pertinent. There's a guy, I think he's American. He's living in Asia and he invented all this stuff to, his name's not ringing a bell, but he had this, uh, he had this checklist of where you should take your waste product and put it in next, where you get the most ROI, if you will. And the first thing that he looked at is to have food value for humans. And if so, then you use it. And if it doesn't have food value for humans, but it has food value, like spoilage or it's gone bad, it's fermented, can animals still eat it? Then feed it to the animals. So he's looking at the profit and in the out of the whole nine. Yeah. And then if you have wood, and is the wood oily or is it a balsa kind of like um, lots of pores, light, soft wood? He had it figured out of what's your waste product and where it's best used. Wow. For human food value, for energy, for um, all through Thailand and Vietnam. So it's very tailored to their living style. Yeah. So to show an American, yeah you, yeah, you put your pellet gasifier here and you do there's a lot of training involved, but um, that's the kind of mentality I would approach it is what do we have and what can we throw in the biogas digester that's going to yield good gas that we can't get a better benefit from in some other system on the farm. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't in California, I'd say humanure, right? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I wouldn't let that stop me. Um, but maybe I'd have a separate tank for that and I'd feed trees that don't give fruit. I mean, just so anybody that says, yeah, but eventually we're eating what, you know, I could say, yeah, we're not even eating it. I'm just putting it on my uh, hardwood crop or yeah. what I'm using for, uh, for firewood or whatever. Um, but yeah, what a waste if you're not using, you know, that's full of food for something. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I've done a, a bunch of talks on that. But if we were to look at the gasification, because I've got I've got the biodigester, it it's great for what it is. It's not very portable when you fill it up with you know all that water, but but it's mm -hmm. good for what it is. I've got duckweed. It's not algae, but it's really fast growing. It's way more rapid than anything on land for sure. But what is yeah. what I be looking at next? Because when I posted my idea on YouTube, it, I mean, so many people were very excited, no doubt. But there were these few people that were like, wait, wait. And they're <laughs> very upset and worried. And, and it's like that next piece is critical because it, it determines what my outputs are and how I'm going to handle them and whether it needs to be inside the building or outside the, you know what I mean? Like all those kind of factors really play into the next kind of advice um, that, 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 Absolutely. that I acquire. So what do you recommend? Like what devices are there out there? I know that you've worked on these kind of devices at the DIY level all the way up to a product for sale. Yeah. Um, well, for you, I'd focus on biogas digestion. You have it. You love it. It's working great. And um, you're growing the feedstock, right? And um, if you were to have a gasifier, I'd have a small kind of like a battery charger roll for a gasifier because you can get, you know, you can size something that's waist high that you could build with, you know, gosh, there's 100 DIY gasifier videos out there that will power your, you know, Home Depot five kilowatt generator, which is plenty of power to to charge batteries or if you need to you know run 
a heavy drawing device. Now you could also do that with your methane, but you're going to be you're going to be sucking your methane right out and using it. I don't know what if you're just using um you know like a a gravity compressor uh I don't know what the home biogas 2 unit calls it or an inflatable balloon for your gas. I don't know how you're storing yeah, it. Yeah, it's a balloon and then you um, have sandbags on top. Yeah, so I was under the impression that you need like um like a like a starter to like to begin like the biochar process and then you can start gasifying. Is that is that wrong? No, no, you're right. And that's so gasification is is real dirty, nasty, tarry stuff if you're if you're trying to gasify wood, like wood chips or wood pellets. Right. Which is awesome because you can make wood pellets from anything, coconut shells, you know, shells, dried grass. Um, you know, grass is bad because it's so heavy in mineral, you're going to get a lot of ash. What you want is heavy, dense woods like your oaks, like your, you know, so where you get more carbon and less minerals, then you're not dealing with the ash. And, and if it's, if it's carbon dense wood, then you also have less what? You have less tars because there's less cellulose, there's less cellu- uh, hemicellulose and mm-hmm. less lignin, which is, which is really what causes the flames when you start a fire. That's what's burning. It's the gases off the wood, not the carbon. When carbon's burning, you have that's what's called a hotbed of coals, right? That's Whoa, what people don't right. understand. Now, if you got now, if you're a blacksmith and you're pumping air under the coals, you will get blue flame shooting up, which is the same blue flame that you'll see in a gasifier before you put it into an engine because you're burning carbon monoxide, right? right. Burning coal is oxidizing coal or charcoal. And what is oxid, you know, oxidation is what we would think of as burning. So oxidation is when you have just carbon and you're oxidizing carbon, what do you get? CO. That oxygen atom is jumping onto a carbon atom. And now you have this highly deadly gas if you breathe it, but very flammable gas. So if you can contain it and you, and you, and you oxidize the CO, what do you get? COO or... CO2. So if you're using a charcoal gas fire, which I prefer because I don't deal with the tars, I got, I'm dealing with a CO2 exhaust. Guess where I can put that CO2? I can put that in a greenhouse during daylight hours because that's when plants absorb CO2, not at night. At night, plants absorb oxygen. You will kill your plants if you keep your exhaust pipe uh, running nonstop through the night hours. So you know, and that's where if you're in a real cold place like, you know, the Northeast or the Northwest or North North, um, you want to look at storing heat and, you know, heat banks in the floor and stuff. So it sort of balances out. So, yeah, if you're going to use CO2, which you also get when you're burning methane, right? right. Methane's one of the gases you can burn because it's got only one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms. It's CH4. So when you're burning it, you're getting very little CO2, negligent amount, enough to really silence anybody that's criticizing that kind of exhaust because it's very little. And the rest of the exhaust is what? It's steam. Oxidized hydrogen is H2O. So I love methane because you can make it yourself. It's it's renewable. The exhaust is perfectly acceptable as one of the cleanest exhausts. And if you, you can actually pump that back into your greenhouse and and run the exhaust certainly during daylight hours and if you're really clever you could do that with a gasifier or a methane if you're running methane on your generator is take the tailpipe and run it through your duckweed uh aeration pipes and wow now you're putting so right now the, without doing biochar i could uh, just get uh, a generator and I'm, pipe it through there i'm sorry let, let me rephrase that you don't want to run car co2 um into the water uh you want to run the co well because i have to i don't know enough about duckweed if it was algae you can bubble it okay because right? algae is growing 3d as long as the light's penetrating it's eating and it's just it's just a phenomenon duckweed might so like if you had an aquaponics plant what are they bubbling underneath those roots usually ambient air or oxygen enriched air because they're originally the oxygen 
but the air that the, the leaves will take in should be, you know, if you want to play with nature a little bit, should be heavy in CO2. Right. So and then you'll, I, yeah. So we have to look at duckweed to see, you know, is CO2 even like algae as a benefit where you can, you know, bubble it in your water or put it in the greenhouse, but certainly your greenhouse could take the exhaust pipe of your typical Home Depot sized generator. And you could run that all day and night because there's not enough CO2 from a small generator like that or from the methane that you're burning because the CO2 is a fraction of what you get from gasoline or even, you know, even clean gas, quote unquote. So you got a great, yeah, I still wouldn't run it all night. I still wouldn't run it all night. But, um, but yeah, if you fire that up right in the morning, here's the other thing, Matt. People spend big dollars on CO2 generators for greenhouses. Yeah. Right? Big commercial greenhouses. Do you know what they, do you know what they burn? Propane. So they're paying for this big hunk of machine and the gas to burn it to get the CO2. Guess what? We get it for free and the heat for free. It's called a tailpipe. Oh, my word. <laughs> So oh, put your put your generator on the outside right. of the of the greenhouse. And put the tailpipe on the inside. Insulate it as necessary. You don't want to lose the heat if you need the heat. Right, and, and just it's put, common sense stuff. Yeah, and put the biogas digester on the inside and just connect it up. That is so perfect. Wow. So it's more closed loop. It's, it's more closed loop. Closed sure. loop. It's yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So, and this is um, this is a solution that literally, I mean, the home biogas unit I think was six hundred dollars with shipping. Um, a gas generator I think is like four hundred dollars maybe at a Home Depot. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, a cheap one. Yep. <laughs> and so this is something that if you've got a greenhouse, you could start doing. And the the exciting thing, I I mean, are there carbon like, I mean, there are carbon monoxide detectors but we don't need to worry about that with this system, right? With, with burning, with burning methane through a natural gas um, engine. Yeah, that It'll have lower efficiency, I know, but, but it will still burn uh, in a way that will support us. Absolutely. No, you're in a, you're in good shape. In fact, there's really no need for you to incorporate a gasifier. There's no need. Um, could it play a nice supporting role? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Or a different spot on the land. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And that's another thing that people, you know, often think about. They're like, oh, no, we've got the solution. It's here. And it's like, oh, well, it's a mountain. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah. it's for power here. And then another solution for power over here because they're just too far to like wire up. Well, and he, here's what's really cool. Um, you know, I'm looking, I've been looking at how to make methane through chemical reactions and heat. One thing gasification does that you can't get really with any other technology is a zone that gets incredibly hot. Mm. And if you want to do interesting things in science, you're either going to do it in a place that's incredibly hot, incredibly cold, something with an incredibly high vacuum or under incredible pressure. Mm-hmm. It's something that's outside of our normal senses where you get interesting phase shifts and things, right? Yeah. So what's interesting in gasification, and I think it's the one thing I've been pushing, is that we can take this runaway heat uh, phenomenon with gasification if you're doing charcoal especially, right? Because charcoal is like pure heat. You've already burned off the gases. You literally, you're going to melt metal. Even stainless steel will melt. You almost, you're almost in ceramic zone range. Uh, which is fine with me because I, I want to play with what, what all you can do. And the hotter you can get that zone, if you introduce water as a drip, it'll instantly vaporize into steam and you can split water in half. And that's so 30% of our power was coming from water, which was free. And, it, and it, ha- it was killing two birds with one stone because we needed to keep the runaway heat in check. And so by introducing um, water to crack at those high heats, it takes energy. Right, it's exothermic. You know, it's um, endo. You got endothermic and exothermic reactions happening. So we're using water to sort of keep the temperatures from getting too high, and the byproduct was um, free hydrogen that you, we just put back into our generator. So 
There's, wow. you know, and you could do these interesting things with whatever technology that you have at your disposal. But with your situation, I'd be looking at CO2 reuse for plants, certainly, right? And I, last I checked, you can get up to 15 to 25% growth by cheating the CO2 levels at optimum times for your crop. Now, I don't know if that affects the flavor and all that, but if you're looking at biomass only on that duckweed level, um, you know, it's not going to atmosphere, it's going right back into mass. Therefore, becoming at some point carbon neutral at least. And if you have an excess, we can start banking it back into biochar as a long term sink. Now, let's talk about that. Now, let's, we talked about energy and we could do that all day, maybe another call. Let's talk about world class biochar. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, because I, I know two or three really interesting things with different people on how they use biochar to get almost legendary results with their you know, pseudoscientific crops. But I wanna hear what you've done and what you've heard because um, maybe we know the same people. Yeah, so biochar is really fascinating because I mean, on one hand, I mean, everyone's debating about it. There's so much curiosity about it, so much um, uh, misunderstanding even around it. Um, but it's something that you can just play with and instantly see like, oh, this is incredibly powerful. Like you go out to uh, someone's house and maybe they've got chickens and they never clear out their chicken pen and it stinks. And you just take some mm -hmm. biochar and you just throw it on there, like, a, like a, a pulverized biochar and just like spread it out. The smell is gone like in, in moments. And yes, it's, it's wild. It's, 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 I mean, when we think about, you know, you're pulling all those things out when we're burning for, and you're leaving just that carbon, when you put that carbon in that situation, they all get drawn right back into it like a magnet. Yeah. And well, so it's very much. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue on that thought. And so I've used it um, when we've um, we've been without water, without electricity for over seven days, um, trapped, snowed in on this mountain um, in Washington. And so we had no water. We weren't going to use water to flush the toilet, but we had to figure out how to make you know it not stink. And biochar was oh, yeah. critical to making it so that our bathroom just it wasn't like this noxious space <laughs> um and it was mm -hmm. incredible because we just didn't smell it it just wasn't an issue um and that kind of like power um of of holding nutrients and then like like creating um it, it i mean it ties up problems it creates this stability like a like a stable field in your um in your soil I love it. I love it. It's, it's incredible for water holding capacity. I know people um, who were using biochar in tree plantings in uh, Santa Barbara, and it was or not, it was the city below Santa Barbara, and it was the only trees that survived the drought. And there, I've seen it again and again and again through personal experience and through my students and through my teachers that biochar is this incredible tool to rehabilitate systems and then you can also filter water with it you can and i mean a lot of the stuff we've already known using charcoal but um biochar is a next level yeah and in, in my opinion charcoal biochar carbon is all the same thing it just depends on what are you using it for now i want to say something about biochar that most people don't understand uh, a lot of people ask, how much do I add to my soil or to my garden mix? And what I've heard statistically is about 5 to 10% by volume. But that can, let's talk about long-term sink and what you're trying to accomplish. Because the name of the game here in gasification, in soil, in your gut health if you eat it, in your animals' guts if they eat it, in, a, in, in aroma absorption, uh, you know, anaerobic, nasty smell, instant gone type of uh, applications. It's about surface area. 
And you talked about it being kind of like a magnet. Well, there's a lot of cation exchange uh, type of science going on. I'm not, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, you know, that whole electrical field part of uh sustainability and and but i know it's there i know it's real schauberger uh, it's there it's i just it's hard for me to talk with any authority on it but i will say this um if you have a pulverized powder form of biochar 10 percent is you're gonna it's way too much because the surface area on the size of the biochar that you're putting in is is what the biology is feeding off of. It's what they're living on. And if you have chunks the size of rice grains, you can put 10 times as much or 30 times as much by volume than if your biochar looks like the kind of powder that you would cough if you, you know, breathed it in. So, but here's the other thing. If you have pulverized biochar it means you can use a lot less but it's then you're not really using the soil for a long-term carbon sink because that's going to be gone in a maybe a hundred years if you're using right. the size of rice cream or sugar cubes those will be in the soil at least the center the core of that piece will be somewhat recognizable in thousands of years because the edge that the bacteria and the mechanical grinding of sand grains on that piece of carbon is it's it's a, it's a time game right and also it's used as you know we all know to get the the carbon and nitrogen ra- ratio just right for for uh, for a compost pile so if you put too much pulverized carbon in your soil or your plant mix it, it to the plant it could be growing in a very nitrogen um, deplete environment and you might be going well i use biochar and I, and I did all the mycorrhizal fungi. I did all the, you know, I, I did Mel's mix for God's sake. It's got all kinds of air in there and it's still not reacting the way you want. It's because you probably put way too much surface area of the carbon. It's not five or 10% when it's, when it's powder, you're going to, you're going to ruin it. So just a little, and I'll, I won't tell you that I found that out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really important. Like for instance, I would be using the pulverized, more powdery stuff for seed coating, for the the humanure, uh, for the the tre- treating like a an area that needs immediate reaction, um, because like you said, it would okay. be really tied up. Different topic, because now what you're talking about is adding a pulverized carbon to in full weight as a uh you know an anaerobic situation or just for bad smell right so what is what's happening there it's binding with those uh minerals those organic and inorganic compounds and because of the surface area it's essentially uh preventing what the environment that it just has now if you take that and let that compost or, or put it in your biogas digester. I never thought about putting, I don't think it would work, but uh, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can do where, look, here's the, here, here's my, it gets back to the best use thing. Do you want to make biochar and just put it in the ground? Mm-hmm. No, it should have five or six lives before it finds itself back in the ground because you can use that surface area for amazingly helpful things. Yeah. The carbon just needs to be in the ground. So yeah, let's use it if you have a, you know, if you're doing um, humanure or if you just have a stinky situation. Let's say you have a pig farm or you're just, your job is to go clean up that stuff. Carbon is your best friend. Yeah. Activated carbon even better, but that's, there's a, se- there's a separate process to get that kind of surface area. Which Can you explain that? You know. How do you activate? Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. So activated carbon... The the way I would describe it is taking the naturally massive surface area of carbon that you could get from a normal, you know, thousand year old charcoal making process where you're just pyrolyzing it in an oxygen uh, poor environment, right? Mm -hmm. So you're cooking off you're cooking off the gases, and hopefully you're left with carbon. Um, So, uh, lost my train of thought. So. Okay. 
Phrase that question again. Um, I, so I off on a tangent. How do you activate car uh, uh, charcoal? Uh, activate carbon. That's right. Okay. So natural charcoal is phenomenal surface area. I think everybody's heard, you know, one teaspoon is one football field if you were to unfold it. Well, that's true. Activated carbon is pushing that to the limit, maybe tenfold the surface area. And this is specifically for things like if you've been poisoned yeah. and you want, so, the, the surface area is so great that now we're really talking about magic to you and I, if you were to observe its properties, because it's like a black hole to anything that has the opposite. See, this is where we're getting into where I can't really speak intelligently. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's about ion exchange and balance mm -hmm. and, and, um, and resonance. I know it sounds weird, but resonance, the wave pattern on that bioelectrical field produced by all the life in the ground. This is my understanding of it. Paul Stamets just explains it uh, only as he could. And a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's mycelium. But getting back to this, let's getting back to uh, activated carbon. There's only two ways that I know of how to get that kind of surface area, to etch it in. One way is when the carbon is still in the container just after you've pyrolyzed it, it's still hot, you just baked off all the, the wood gases, um, is to introduce superheated steam. I'm not talking about steam at 300 degrees Fahrenheit, that's the vapor that's coming off your soup. I'm talking about steam that's been pressurized that's coming out at you know, 1,000 degrees. So you can inject high, usually high pressure steam or high temperature superheated steam into the vessel that you had your carbon. Wow. And that will, that will, now that's dangerous <laughs> and it's energy intense unless, unless you're, you know, you have a plant. The much cheaper way to do it is with calcium chloride and you can reuse it over and over. And that's, let's say you have a five gallon barrel of your final biochar, fill it up. You got your biochar filled up and you just put calcium chloride in there for 24 hours and it's a chemical etching that occurs. So calcium chloride will etch away at the carbon and, and create some new. Now, I've heard that you can reuse that after you sort of treat the calcium chloride after it's, you know, you have to get it back to its original state. But there's a way that I think you can reuse that over and over. And that's a way that anybody can do it because there's no dangerous temperatures or pressures dealing with. But um, Wow. I don't ever see it. I, you know, I wouldn't uh, ever think anybody would need to make it unless you want to know how. Um, but I'd have it on the farm for poison control mm -hmm. for animals or you. So I'd have enough whether you buy it or, or make it. Um, but normal biochar has enough surface area to already do the magic that, that you've experienced. And But let's talk about how to get... Uh, there's a I can't know I can't remember his name, but he's out of Hawaii, and I won't name his product because I know his product. But what he did is he put fish guts from the fishing wharf. They would come in and they address the fish, right? So you can only yeah. you're not selling all parts of the fish all the time. So he would take this, you know, and you've heard of people, you know, making their own fish uh, fertilizer, right? By uh, providing depriving it of oxygen, just like anaerobic digestion and and uh, that's what he did. He he anaerobically digested the fish to a point, and then poured it over a big pile of of you know uh, of charcoal biochar, just biochar, not biochar mixed with compost, just biochar. And there was enough nitrogen in that fish goop, whatever you're, whatever it was, that played really nice with the carbon. And within days, the whole thing had a frothy white. Uh, mycelium cover, uh, and he would just—it was already turning to what looked like rich soil because it just had that fast acting. I thought that was amazing. Um, what this Montana, th this uh, greenhouse up there—they're putting the effluent from your anaerobic digester into the. All right, so there must be some nitrogen component there. Yeah. Right. There must be. So, um, yeah, but I, I. I I don't know enough about how he was selling it or, or whatnot, but yeah, if you introduce what I, what I did was I did actively aerated compost tea, verma tea, 
mind you, right? I wanted every little bit I could get from what nature, and I just bubbled it for a day the way, you know, uh, Elaine Ingram taught me. And uh, I would pour that on my biochar. Yeah. But I never did any, I was more, I was more into the all energy side of this, right? And I never really did any more than just observations on how it did in my garden. And I just knew it was the right thing to do. I was more like, you know, make biochar, power engines, power farms, and have focused on that, as you know. But, um, yeah, man, yeah, I, I'm interested in quantum Via all of it. Quantum Via taught us to arrest uh, a top burn um, pile outside with no pyrolysis, but a top burn pile right before it starts doing the secondary burn. You take EM or compost tea, um, rich water, and then you 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 um, water it down and arrest. Um, and they they've been able to prove that these top burning piles, um, starting the fire at the top so it burns downward, uh, have so much less smoke, like ninety percent less smoke. And so that's how yep. like um, they're 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 making biochar actually in Sonoma in a lot of places right now. That's right. Because you know, you know what that smoke is, right? It's unburnt gases. Yeah. That's all it is. Right? So, and um, the and, and yeah. they're, not, they're not good is because partially combusted gases. I mean, the, the number one that, one that we're afraid of is carbon monoxide. So, it's where all the, that noxious stuff is. For good reasons. Wow. And that's right. So, this is really exciting. So perhaps I should just focus on doing the biochar outside and, 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 and playing with it in all the different places that I have and then getting a natural gas generator. What's so cool is that everyone can do this. Everyone can start generating right. energy from just, uh, from just natural gas um, that they create on them, uh, methane that they create themselves. It's a natural gas as well, but it's not, quote, the natural gas. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm currently working on is also cool in that you talked the top-down burn for making biochar. Yeah. The, the Kontiki method, uh, there's lots of names for it, um, is what are you doing with the waste heat that's on top that's usually going out to atmosphere, right? Right. So what I'm working on right now is putting a lid on that and driving some, some enclosed augers of granulated waste end-of-life plastic. And so if I put in a kilogram of finely diced plastic granules and, you, you know, different plastic yields different um, hydrocarbons. Whoa. But, um, yeah, so I'm actually using the heat, and I haven't built this yet, but I'll, there's other people have done this. I'm just I'm putting three different things together. Number one, I don't want to deal with wood gas in my gasification system. I want to do charcoal gasification. Therefore, I have to pyrolyze my wood. What do I do with the waste heat? All those BTUs, even more BTUs in the gases than in the carbon. Whoa. It's something to note, depending on the wood. Depending on the wood. If you have oak, it's the other way around. If you have something like you know pine or eucalyptus, there's more BTUs in the oil. So what are you doing with that heat? Well, let's make a pizza oven right on top of that cone tiki, and we're injecting ambient air into it at a, at a controlled rate where we find the desired, you know, uh, and you're burning those wood gases complete, but you're also running uh, pipes through it where you're augering uh, bits of plastic through. Now, if I put in a kilogram of plastic, I'm going to get 0.85 kilograms in liquid fuel. That's diesel and gasoline of the purest state. That's before... It, Oh yeah, it's 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 basically what the, the oil companies do. They take the crude oil out of the ground and they heat it in this big tall column, and the lighter gases go where up, and the heavier, you know, your Vaseline oily stuff go. It, it doesn't ever rise, and they have these little side compartments where they're capturing the different fractions of gases, and it's really easy to think of it. It's hydrocarbon, so the longer the chain, the heavier it is. Dang. So Vaseline and waxes and, and thick sludge, you know, you're looking at a longer chain hydrocarbon. If you're dealing with carbon monoxide, you're dealing with a 
you know, two atoms, it's a very light gas. Yeah. Uh, and only hydrogen, you know, it, it itself is a single atom that can be uh, oxidized. So amazing stuff. But you're doing the same thing with these. You're just taking plastic that had its use to humanity. And it's causing all kinds of problems, as we know. And if you can grind it, which takes energy, you know, I'm not discounting the, the fuel prep part of this. But if you can make those pieces small enough, again, it's about surface area. You can put them through a two-foot pipe moving one mile an hour with an auger that you can power with a, with a drill off a solar panel from wherever you want to, you know, a single solar panel. Because wow. you don't need the power, right? You, you, it's mechanical. It's gears. So anyway, I'm getting too geeky. Let's get back no, to this. No, this is not too but geeky. One, I mean, the reality is people are so worried right now. They feel like they got to look for answers, and we have the answers already. We can, in five to ten years, draw down all the excess carbon in the environment, and then we can take all this plastic that's everywhere and turn it into our fuel and then keep maintaining that balance by, by doing kelp in the ocean, by you know creating these biochar carbon sinks. It's all, it's, it's completely Matt, we, doable. We can burn anything that's organic. Kelp, we could do tires, use crushed tires. All of that stuff scares people because they're thinking of the smoke that's coming out. And the, well, guess what? What fractional distillation is, what I just described, it's an enclosed process. You just have a big radiator and you let nature cool it and you're capturing the lighter gases and you're catching the dark. So there is no, the nothing. Now, if you can bottle that, all of our engines are designed to run on liquid fuel. You get more energy density. Yeah. So you're, so again, we're, we're, we're stacking functions. We have this waste heat problem when you're making biochar that, that very few people are leveraging, especially with an open Contiki top air type burn, mm -hmm. right? You just burned off half the energy that you did nothing with. Put a lid on it, make a pizza oven, melt some plastic, put that back into gas. Now it's not the gas that you buy from Chevron, it's, which has over 400 additives, mind you. So that's causing more of the problems than, um, you know, naphtha, for instance, which is just a certain carbon, hydrocarbon link. Anyway, uh, anyway, that's, that's something that's interesting to me too, because it's cleaning up the environment and also using waste energy to take uh, plastic in one form and putting it back into fuel. Yeah. And uh, you, so that's interesting. And then um, I'm doing it all in one contraption. So as that charcoal is going down, I'm sort of in this vortex, Victor Schauberger sort of thing. We're at the skinny point in the neck. That's where I start my gasification. So this is an ongoing non-batch thing that I'm currently in interested in. It's just... Wow. So, yeah. so if I had all this biochar that I was creating on this property, could the biochar be the charcoal for that device? Absolutely. Now, that's where we get into a lot of conflict. It's like, well, why are you burning carbon when you really want that to be the end product that you're making as a sink? Huh. Yeah, right. And, and, I've, and um, unfortunately, gasification technology works because it is carbon. <laughs> That's what it. That's what it is. It's uh, it's oxid. You know, it's uh, the oxidation and pyrolysis of hydrocarbons. The, so the controversial uh, element. The best you can do. Well, in the bigger story, and as you know, I I'm a proponent of of pruning your orchard and pollarding and coppicing like we did for millennia. Yeah. Before, where we're actually growing wood as a stock. Now, what happens? The roots go in the ground. We're putting carbon back in in different ways, and you're stimulating growth. And in that case, what I do is when I filter the sugar cube size pieces for gasification, anything that's smaller, which is maybe 20%, that goes into my compost pile. So in my mind, it is carbon negative if you have the supporting farm practice system. For you know, but if you're just... Yeah, and, and you, or you're recapturing the CO2 out of the exhaust into a greenhouse. Where's the CO2 going? It's going back into mass that people are either eating or you're making fertilizer. You know, yeah. it's, you're not just, yeah. So that's basically what you're talking about too. And uh, that stuff is ultimately fascinating to me.
So when can we, you know, have access to your, to this product? Well, right now it's just in my mind and on three or four, uh, graph paper notepads and a thousand different forms. But, um, what I really want to do, Matt, honestly, as you know, I've in the past done two endeavors where we took a prototype and tried to make a, a product that sold and yeah. gasification. You want to talk about niche markets. Uh, to go try to sell a gasifier. <laughs> it's an easy sell if you have a sawdust mill, you know, if you have a or a sugarcane plantation, because your waste product will power your whole farm. But beyond that, it's a, it's a it's a it's a bit player. It's a role player. In my opinion, it's a great battery charger because you can fire it up whenever. You know, you're not it's not your main energy. Uh, right. the methane the methane is, which I think is a smarter play. Um love it. I so, love it. Yeah, I as soon as I have, um, what I want to do now is create a miniature version. You know, those little 1000 watt Honda generators. Yeah. I want to have a tabletop model that I can show the process with, and I'm going to spare no expense. Like if I needed, you know, do a 3d, uh, printed ceramic hearth to get exactly what I need, I will, but it's going to be tiny. That's the idea is it's, you know, waist higher, shorter, in that you could pick it up with a handle and carry it with you. Why? So people can use it as a teaching device and it's mobile and, um, and it will work on a miniature generator. Now, is that going to be very useful? I don't know for a teaching device. Yes. Um, I yeah, think those are the things to... that are selling. It's what people can afford. And so, I mean, I've got a, a wind water generator from water Lily. I've got, the home biogas unit, you know, I've got, I've got all these technologies that, that do pretty good. You know, they're not going to power the house. They're not going to, you know, fill the gas tank, but they are, they will keep us going in those off grid emergency situations. And there is place to start from if we end up in a permanent off grid situation unexpectedly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You nailed it. <laughs> wow you nailed it that was amazing oh we're just brainstorming i mean we, what's dangerous with me is that you can't get me to stop talking so i'll <laughs> i'll uh this is probably a good point to uh to, you know i'd say call this brainstorming session uh to a conclusion but i'd love to continue working with you as you progress with this just kind of as the you know, let's call Crazy Uncle T in and have him uh, check out what we did and just just to have some input. I just love seeing what other, other people are doing. I would love that. You know? And I know that everyone else would too. Um, there's so much confusion, so, much, so many people wanting answers from people that know. And so it's so valuable to have your thoughts, your voice, your input in this conversation and to be able to share it with the world. and have people see, you know, that it's not scary. We really have the science. We really have the solutions. And in fact, it's the flip of, of being nervous. It's the same energy type, right? The same circuit in the brain, but it's excitement. We need to get excited because that's what this yeah. stuff is. Absolutely. Yep, I absolutely agree, Matt. And love what you're doing. And just want to thank you so much for having me back on been a pleasure oh thank you so much Troy